The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finish. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. My mom was a world of contradictions. She would pet your head and tell you how well-behaved and talented you were. She didn't like to be sassed. She couldn't stand us screaming in the car or running from her in the grocery store. The thing she hated most was causing a scene. She felt like outsiders were judging her for having bad children. Looking back... I can see why she was so nuts. She had five children in eight years. Her obstetrician had warned her several times that her body wasn't going to withstand much more damage. He was right. She could never have children again. So you see, we almost killed my mom by just being born. Welcome to the Doherty Gang, a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. Episode 4, Less Than Perfectly Obedient. I'm Courtney Armstrong, a crime producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker. We've been working with producer Beth Greenwald on the Doherty Gang for months now. The three siblings have agreed to tell their story for the very first time, each from separate prisons. Lee Grace Doherty is at Federal Correction Institute, Aliceville in Alabama. Ryan is in United States Penitentiary, Tucson in Arizona. And Dylan is at the Federal Corrections Institute in Bennettsville in South Carolina. This call is from a federal prison. When you have that amount of adrenaline going through you, you're not sure how to act because it's not something that's happening every single day. You know, we don't we don't have that type of interaction, so everything was happening very fast. The Doherty's had zero chance of flying under the radar after a high-speed chase in which they shot at a Pascal County Sheriff deputy with an AK-47. Here's older brother Dylan. I felt like I was having a heart attack for about four hours after that morning. Their trouble began in Florida, when officials say 29-year-old Lee, 21-year-old Ryan, and 26-year-old Dylan 
led police on a high-speed chase, then opened fire. They got away after shooting out the police car's tire. Sheriff Chris Nako, the sheriff of Pascal County, shares his thoughts on the start of the Doherty Gang's crime spree. It's ironic in law enforcement. We tell people, if you're going to commit a crime, just commit one crime. If you commit two crimes, you're way more likely to get caught because the fact that he had cut his ankle bracelet off, we would have never probably been notified at the time. And had they just driven down the street at a normal speed, they would have blended in with everybody else. Ryan, why would you speed in the middle of town? Did you see the cops? Before that, I think we could have made a different decision. We could have gone a different way and the police would never have gotten behind us and we would have just had continued our merry way. They would have been able to get on the 75 if that was their intentions to get out of the state of Florida very easily. But you know, when you're speeding down, you're committing now two offenses, one cutting off the ankle bracelet, but you are, you know, speeding, it just starts multiplying. So at that point, you know, it wasn't the fact that he had cut off his ankle bracelet. Nobody was notified. Nobody probably would have been notified immediately. What got them, you know, having Weiner pulling behind them was the fact that they were speeding. We were each in a in our different version of escape. You know, it was like when you have nowhere to go. I mean, you feel like you're cornered. There's no way back. I think that was probably one of the scariest moments of being on the road is knowing that there's no way you could ever return to where you're from. You know, you can never go back to Tampa. You can never go back to Orlando. It's just, you know, you're completely alienated from the place where you grew up. And I think as we're driving farther and farther north, there was a sense of relief that kind of settled in the car, you know, and I just kept looking at Ryan like, you're a damn good driver because I know I couldn't have done that. You know, either I would have wrecked or killed myself, killed somebody else. But he really wasn't reacting, I think, the way that Dylan and I were reacting. I was reacting very erratically. I was like, you know, holy shit, what are we going to do? We just ran from the cops. What the hell? Here's how Ryan described the shootout last episode. The goal is always to either just knock a hole in the radiator because you might have three to five minutes flat out with one of those Crown Vicks before it overheats. So I shot at you from about 40 meters or less away and they caught about 40 rounds right above the driver's side tire. I apologize for shooting at him. It was between him and my freedom and it was in no way personal. Here's the Doherty Gang movie writer, producer, director, Sean McEwen speaking with Beth. All of my understanding of that came through the uh, police reports uh, and what the news had eventually covered. And then that fed into the opportunity that I had to sit down with each of you know Lee Grace, Ryan, and Dylan in person and talk to them. So when I first met them, which now I'm thinking has probably been about eight years ago, you know, I'm sitting there with Dylan and you know looking at him eyeball to eyeball. He's obviously in prison and I was at a visitation. You know, and he recounts the story and, you know, so compelling. What's fascinating, and I think thinks to volumes is, you know, flash forward to years later, as Ryan's telling the story now, in a way, it's his way of trying to protect his siblings. Like, essentially him now saying, well, no, I was the one who was shooting at the cop in Zephyr Hills. I was the one who leaned out the window, yet he was the one driving. So, listen, I know he keeps mentioning and everyone around him said he was a great driver, but that's like something out of a, not even a movie, like out of a cartoon or something to think you could be flying around 100 miles an hour down the streets of Zephyr Hills and leaned out the window shooting perfectly at a cop's tire. Um, I think what's so fascinating about that is even to this day, 
they're still trying anything they can to protect the other one, even if it means jeopardizing their own freedom or safety. And I think that, again, speaks volumes. Ryan is able to protect them. I guess the circumstances of Florida are different for each one. So Ryan being able to do that is because he already accepted a deal. Um, That's how I understand it. Again, I don't, I, you know, I'm not wanting to obviously get anybody in trouble, but how I'm understanding it is, is that, you know, Ryan still was up on various charges and still has certain legal dynamics of dealing with. And because of that, I think he was like, look, I'm already taking the fall for some things. Um, yes, it'll make my situation that much more challenging, that much more worse. But again, I'd rather, you know, let, let it all ride on me to hopefully, you know, ease up on uh, my, my siblings here and make things better for them. And they always seem to be willing to do that. This is a family and these are kids that aren't going to turn on each other. They would rather take the fall tenfold than have anything happen to the other one. Dylan talks to Beth saying he was actually the one to pull the trigger. The truth comes down to what actually happened 10 years ago. Were you the one who fired the shots or was it Ryan? Sometimes when Ryan talked about it, it sounded like he had done it. No, he didn't. He didn't. He was driving the car. He, you know, when you're driving 140 miles an hour, it's kind of hard to shoot. So, no, I did all the shooting. I, was, I, I can say that. They know that. They have the video. Um, I've said it before. And, you know what I mean, it is what it is. I, I can't change the past. Here's Ryan, followed by Lee Grace. You know, it just got to a point when we were driving and we were like, man, what, you know, what, essentially, like, what are we doing? Because the original plan is kind of foobar, so you got to kind of roll with it. After that initial chase and you realize you're, you've gotten away from the cops, there's a euphoric relief. Like, you're like, oh, okay, we're good, we're safe, we don't have to run anymore, we can just drive normally. While the Doherty's went along their journey feeling they had no choice but to continue, law enforcement had a pretty different interpretation. Here's Detective Sheriff Nako. But when you have an incident where there's numerous people in a vehicle, they're shooting at law enforcement, um, and then it starts adding up that he cut the ankle bracelet, those are patterns that kind of don't fit in the normal flow. Here's executive producer Joseph Morgan, a forensic scientist and criminal justice expert. They seal their fate at that moment in time because when someone pulls a weapon with intent to fire in the direction of a police officer, you're challenging not just that police officer, but all of the other law enforcement agencies that are about to descend upon you. They cannot have a group of people run around buck wild up and down the road. The Doherty's cross-country spree was initiated when 21-year-old Ryan went to court to face felony charges of sending a minor harmful information and lewd and lascivious conduct. Sending sexually inappropriate texts to a minor is unarguably deplorable. It was also one more thing in a string of bad actions and situations Ryan got himself in going back to his complicated childhood. Here he is talking about growing up, followed by his mother, Barbara Bell. My mom tried really hard she really loved all of us kids. Like, that's not ever anything that's uh, singled out in my mind ever, any, any day of the week. And none of her kids have got to doubt that ever. But, you know, on the flip side of that, man, like, you know, she, she came up short in some areas and she came through stronger than, than was necessary in others. So, like, you know, and then on the same side of that, I, I think, I sit and I think to myself, I'm like, at least she was present. My mom was there. Like, she worked a lot. She slept a lot. She was tired from working doubles back to back to back to back, working her fucking ass to the bone, you know, to provide for us. I thought they would be better off with a single mother that worked 
and demonstrated independence and encouraged them to be independent rather than a stay at home, have nothing, go nowhere mother meeting them at the bus stop with a, an apron on and a tray full of brownies. Now, maybe in retrospect, I would have been better off to wear the apron and bake the brownies. Dylan lived a much different life than Lee Grace and Ryan when he was younger. His father, Doc, and mom, Barbara, thought Dylan would have more opportunities by going to live with his aunt, Suzanne, and uncle Glenn in Kentucky. Dylan could not read in third grade. And at that point, he had already spent a lot of summers in uh, Kentucky with extended family and was very happy and kept very busy and out of trouble up there. And so um, at the point where I realized Dylan could not read, Doc and I both felt that education was extremely important. And he went up to live out of out of state. And at that point, he missed his brothers and sisters and they missed him. But uh, they kept in touch over the phone and occasional letter. My brother was raised by my aunt and uncle. That was their kid. He, he had a different upbringing than me. He learned a different skill set. And we grew up together until I was about seven or eight when I moved to Kentucky with my aunt and uncle, who later adopted me. And um, my dad sent me up there, I think partly because I had ADD and also because my aunt and uncle had substantially more money. I don't know, I guess he felt like living on a farm would be good for me. I can remember my dad telling me, you know, he said, you know, pay attention and learn everything you can. I probably would have tried harder to keep them all together. However, I couldn't have dreamed of a better upbringing than Dylan was receiving where he was living at his new home. Therefore, I thought I was doing the right thing. John and Yvonne Clanton live next door to Glenn and Suzanne Stanley. I mean, both of them were great people. It's not hard to get along with. They're not, not argumentative or anything like that. I mean, very nurturing. I'd say both of them were, even with Glenn's Army career and everything. They just were nurturing people. Glenn was a Marine, and he had an extraordinary experience in Vietnam where his all of his unit basically was killed except for him, and he had to play dead for, I don't know, like 24 hours. It's, I've read the, the story of it. It's incredible. So he was, a, he was a gentle person, but he also had a tough side. I mean, I would have trusted him to raise my children. Living on a farm was, a, was an interesting childhood. I call my parents, you know, it's my aunt and my uncle up there with my mom and dad. That's a cool thing, really, for me. I had two moms that, that loved me, and both of them had their own individual impacts on my life, and this, uh, this developed into who I am. And then I also had two fathers that had a, a big impact on my life, where I got all my core character beliefs and stuff from, from both of them. They were great. I think he had a good balance going. Now that I've had teenagers, <laughs> I don't say that he was necessarily completely out of control. And there's one time he missed the bus. And so one time they had him walk to school and maybe he didn't go. I think there's some story like that. But it was, it's almost like a humorous story, like later on humorous, like, uh, you know, this was the things we went through or whatever. But um, as far as I know, I mean, there wasn't any serious things. There was just teenage stuff and obviously he'd been through trauma losing his dad and obviously that's going to make life difficult. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be back in a moment. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans and yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. 
So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Mom Barbara recounts her husband Doc's death and the impact on their children. When his father was dying in ICU at Central Florida Regional Hospital in Sanford, where, where by the way, he had excellent care, uh, Dylan was escorted to his bedside and Doc asked him, please, please look after your younger brother. Hardest thing I ever had to do in my life was to tell my children that their father had died, that he had stopped breathing and that he had passed away and that they would not see him again. Even the kids that weren't, they weren't his nieces and nephews, that everybody called him uh, Uncle Doc, everybody. But that was just our family, our atmosphere in our home was, we were always having fun, we were always allowed to, you know, run and, you know, the reins were very loose. But yeah, I think things would be way different, uh, obviously, if my father hadn't passed away. I don't think it was permanent at the time. I don't think it was it was like permanent. I think it may have been in his mind. So I was going to go up there and live for two or three, you know, years or something, and not what happened. He, you know, he died, and I wasn't able to move back then. He was not legally adopted up there until after Doc died. And after Doc died, I said, "This is the best thing I could possibly do for my son is to allow him to be adopted." And so he was. We still kept in touch. We were all in the same family, but it it was different. Dylan has a very strong draw to all his siblings, and I think this was hard on Dylan. And once he became an adult, he kept in very close touch with his sisters and his younger brother and sister. Once Doc passed away, I knew I couldn't handle five kids, especially with two teenage girls who were already less than perfectly obedient, as is not unusual at all. Lee, Grace, and Ryan were growing up under far different circumstances. My mom is just the epitome of, you know, mommy dearest. So you just had to catch her, you know, on a good day. After Doc died, it was like night and day. Before Doc died, those kids were pretty much well-behaved and, and no problems. But after he died, I will admit, I lost control of the kids. The oldest was 14. The youngest was 7. The younger ones were still good, but the teenagers uh, did not uh, do everything I asked them to do. Here's Lee Grace speaking with producer Beth Greenwald. 
my mom's number one rule for us children was if you if an adult is speaking to her do not contradict what she is saying because she wants to be in control of the narrative you know she wants to be in charge and kids are not to back talk their parents because it looks trashy what was the punishment for talking back you know, it was different for each child because my mom was very lax with Ryan, and you have to look at what type of child he was. He was a very smiley, very easygoing, soft-spoken. He was a real sweetheart. So my mom, she didn't really have to put her hands on Ryan like the older children. So I think when my mom looked at him, maybe she saw something of my father in him. You know, maybe that's why she didn't hit him as much. You know, the one time that I did fight my mom, I ended up in juvenile. You know, I was in JDC. So, you know, I knew that I was wrong to hit my mom. Why did I hit my mom? Because I felt like she deserved it. And it was really something I'm not proud of. But I think everything in your past, you have to own it. You have to say, I did this. I did this for a reason. It might not be a great reason, but you did it. You could tell my mom would lose her temper. She'd fold her tongue in half and she would bite it. And then you would know, crap, she's lost her cool. Get away from her. And, but I mean, we live on a big farm. Go away from her for like an hour or two and she's fine again. It's just like anybody. There's no like real abuse that occurred. Nothing more than whatever happened with other kids in the 80s and 90s, you know? I never saw my siblings get abused. Never, ever. Like, if you get spanked, if you get whipped, I don't see that as abuse. As long as you have your emotions in check when you do it, my relationship with my mom deteriorated. So I didn't have a real close relationship. Um, you know, no matter how close we were, we still had a lot of, you know, animosity, a lot of anger. The way that his death uh, affected my children, Lee Grace, my oldest, my beautiful little China doll, she more or less blocked it out. She never grieved till over a year after he had been gone. She called mother, good night and there was something funny in her voice and I went in the living room and sat down with her and we went through a photo album together and that was the first she cried after Doc died. She did not handle it well. I think that we need counseling. I think that we need somebody to sit down with us in a private room and go back to our childhood, our young adulthood and to see where all this trauma and this, you know, this family dynamic that makes you do something that brings you to prison. Here again is Sean McEwen. And then Grace has been open about this, and, you know, she had her, her drug use problems, and it's almost like this sense of, like, man, she could have used help and not jail. Like, the only feeling on just that subject. I'm so sorry for my daughter because she's a different person now, a very kind, caring, loving person. And all my kids will always be my kids. And I love them very much, and I'm very proud of them for holding up as well as they have under extremely dire circumstances. What would be the greatest hope for their futures from where you're sitting? What did Doc used to say? Hope in one hand and shit in the other and see which one fills up first. I have hope that my children will continue to be strong and courageous and good people no matter where they are. That's not a hope. That's a, that's a reality. Okay, they're going to be strong. They're going to be brave. They're going to be good people wherever they are. All the times I was just 
underwater, just drowning. Just I had nothing going on in my life. You know, I was just going down that rabbit hole of drugs and pills and just my own insecurities and my anxiety. You know, one call or text message from Dylan and I would just realize, hey, he's going to come get me and I'm going to be okay. You know, so I didn't have a lot of worry because I knew at the end of the day, if I called Dylan and told him, hey, this is what's happening. I knew Dylan was going to drop what he was doing and save me, you know, and that's important when you have a sibling like that. You know that you cannot go under a certain line. Here's Joseph Morgan. You know, even her brother, you know, years later had to bring her back to what they refer to as the farm and help her dry out. Can you imagine, you know, and it's hard for a lot of folks to imagine that you've got an older sister whom you adore and you love and you're bound to, you've been through a lot, you've been through a lot of loss and you see her kind of spinning, you know, off like a top off its axis. I can speak to this as a lifelong death investigator. That's, that's all I did for a living, working with the coroner in New Orleans and with the ME in Atlanta. I've described death before as like a slobbering drunk at a party that will never leave you alone. Death is always there. It has a residue that sticks to you. I moved out after I was 18, and then when my stepdad got cancer, my parents kind of asked me to move back home because my mom needed a lot of help. My stepdad, uh, you know, he died when I was 24. It was weird. I, mean, I lost my uh, real dad when I was 12, and then he died uh, 12 years later when I was 24. And uh, my aunt mom has since uh, remarried. She's been married for several years now. And she lives in Virginia, up in the Shenandoah River Valley, with her new husband, which I which I like. He's a nice guy and takes takes care of her. And you know, I can't ask for anything more than that. John McEwen discusses how Dylan tried to help Ryan and Lee Grace get back on track. I think that you know, from my discussions with Dylan, that he always felt a sense of guilt in that. Here, he got to go live with the aunt and uncle. And, you know, where they were raising horses and doing the whole farming thing and all that kind of great stuff. And here they were kind of left in a situation that was uh, challenging to say the least. And in doing so, I think when he did eventually come back into their lives and make his way back down to uh, Florida uh, in his, you know, late, late teens to early 20s, um, he did always feel the sense of responsibility and maybe guilt and regret that he got to go away. So, you know, keeping them safe was, uh, you know, seemed to be always a motivation for him. So when he comes back into the picture and he sees that Ryan's in this kind of situation where, you know, Ryan's gotten into trouble with the law and is going to potentially violate his probation and be sent back for far too many years to mention. And Lee Grace is, I mean, to be blunt, is, you know, stripping in a strip club down in Cocoa Beach, Florida and, you know, getting in trouble with the wrong people and using drugs and all that stuff. I mean, he saw that their lives were kind of a mess. And I think in a way, he saw this opportunity to protect them finally, to kind of round them up and keep them safe. And obviously making a lot of very distinct decisions and doing so that impacted their lives and probably not the right decisions. Uh, and I say that very facetiously, but uh, he did that nonetheless. So that was a, a big part of that also. My brother's always been there to kind of bail me out and um, even to his own detriment. You know, and he just has that in him. He's he's a fighter. He's going to fight for his family. He's going to fight for people that he loves. And once you're a friend to Dylan, he will never leave you behind, no matter how bad or treacherous. I've never seen Dylan falter, never, no matter what it is. You know, when we were on the road, something bad would happen. I'd say, oh, my God, I'm so, you know, what's going to happen? And he'd say, just calm down. 
I'm here. We're going to take care of this as a team. You know, no, Dylan's big thing is no man left behind. He's not going to leave a straggler. He does not drop his teammates. He's going to pull you out of that burning building. I don't care if your bar, your body is charred to a crisp. He's still going to save you. Dylan was loyal, hardworking, and had a clean record, despite what the media was saying. The sheriff here in Pasco County says all three siblings have a criminal record. And the siblings all have a troubled past, including drug possession, battery, and burglary. Mom Barbara speaks up in defense of her son. He had a misdemeanor marijuana charge for an empty baggie that may or may not have contained an herb that is now legal in 17 states. So that was his big criminal record. 26 years old, he has never a trouble a day in his life. A really fine, hardworking, good person. I'd never been to jail. I was 23. I was actually taking Ryan to turn himself into jail. That's hard to believe, isn't it? My brother actually had an active warrant, and that's why we, he was over there to, to, to go to jail and get that, get that taken care of when I got arrested. I went to jail for an empty plastic bag, believe it or not. It probably had, like, residue. There was no shaking. It was just, like, the crystal, like, the actual the THC. They, uh, they arrested me for possession of uh, marijuana is what that was. But it was, a, like I said, it was an empty plastic bag. It was later expunged off my record. You know, I don't litter, <laughs> so the bag was still in the car. <laughs> Let's stop here for another quick break. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Lee Grace talks about their decision to make the next choice on their journey. And then um, as we got to the north part of 75, you know, you're realizing that you got away, but how far are you going to get with very little cash flow? Once that money is gone, you know, you need money for gas, you need money for food, and traveling's 
very expensive. So I felt like at that point, you know, once we got over the state line, it was kind of one of those situations like we're just looking at each other like, well, I guess it's, I guess we're going to have to do this. And I think, um, you know, as, you know, you're in a group dynamic and you have an incident happen and you make it away from that incident, it kind of gives you a feeling that, you know, you're invincible. You can't get caught because if you have if they really wanted to catch you or if they could catch you, they would have already caught you. So it gives you that euphoric freedom to kind of do something else. And I think that's, you know, that's where you get, you get caught up. That's where you get, you make your mistakes is because you allow yourself just enough rope to hang yourself because you realize, well, it really wasn't that hard. My brother's a good driver, you know, our Subaru held up pretty well and we didn't get caught. So maybe we can just keep going down this road and, you know, get away with it. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. You get away, but for how long? Here again is Sean. The whole idea of robbing banks was so on the fly, and this is how this was expressed to me, was that as they were on the run, one bad situation led to another, and then all of a sudden they're faced with the fact that they get in the shootout with a cop, and then it's like, man, how are we going to make this happen to get out of the country? I'm not trying to romanticize this, but this all came through the sieve of watching movies. It's like, you know, banks. Well, banks are insured. It's the government's money in a way. We're not, we're not taking from people. You know, it's the system that did us wrong. That was their perception or misperception. So we'll go in and we'll take from the banks because, hey, that's fair. And then we'll use that money to finance ourselves and get, it's kind of like the, you know, take from the rich, give to the poor kind of thing. Cause they kind of looked at, Hey, we're the poor. I know it sounds funny and comical, but that's kind of how they looked at it. Hey, we deserve this. So that's, that's what they did. At the time of their crime spree, they were all doing very well. They were all three working. They were all three in a stable family and home life. Everything was going, going so well. Here's Sheriff Nako. We knew that, you know, these three had to be smart enough not to use credit cards. But then it started falling more in line of they're desperate. They're willing to do anything. Well, we had the belief that they were going to have to get cash somewhere. Mainly it's like, yo, what do you do in order to get more money? What do you do in order to get some fake papers? What do you do in order to get somebody to kind of usher you across the border? What's the issues with security with going across the border? You know, what, what's the, there's a million questions and a lot of them you don't have answers to and it causes trepidation and you're just, you're not sure what it is that you want to do. You're, it's, it's a vacillation. It's not it, <laughs> big old indecisiveness. You're not really sure what it is that you should do. And it, it's, you know, it's just, and most of it's just based out of fear. I can say it. I, I'm not ashamed of it, man. I was afraid. That, that situation made me brave and made me scared. Dylan was blinded by love and loyalty for his little brother. It was taking him in a completely different direction from the clean life he'd been living, and he was about to commit a federal crime. We weren't already committed after the banana peel in Florida, so to speak. Uh, We were really committed after that. And then it was just like, you know, I don't think we actually had like a number like in our head, like, oh, this is how much money we need per se. I know Mexico, the exchange rate's pretty good, but it's not that good. Really at that point, we were already committed. I snapped. You know, I thought somehow in my head that it would be a good idea to rob some banks and leave the United States. 
The Doherty's knew they had little chance of successfully robbing a bank in Florida. They'd have a better chance in a surrounding state. We were going to rob a certain bank that was in Florida, but when we got caught speeding there and we banged it out with them in, in the street, it was a bad idea to stay in Florida. And when you cross state lines, it confuses them until it gets to a point where it's federal. And then certain states, automatically, they don't like cooperating with another one another. You would think that there'd be some interagency cooperation there. There's really not. They really don't like each other. Like, they don't want help from one. They don't want to ask for help. And then, like, Florida gets pissed off because... We make them look stupid, and then the whole United States is mad at Florida, like, yo, not only did you born and breed these fucking kids that are psychotic, but you let them out of your sight. Rolling into that certain bank there at, like, 11 in the morning, something like that, I literally just got my heart, back to my resting heartbeat of, you know, 58 beats a minute, and I was like, all right, let's rob a bank now. It was just like, that's where the money is, this is where we're going to go get it, boom, boom, boom. As far as how we picked a bank, you know, in a, in a Walmart parking lot, and, you know, there had multiple exits and, you know, entrances, and there was no cops in the parking lot. You know, that's, that's literally all the, like, strategical planning that went into it. We had looked at one bank, and there was, there was a cop literally right across the street. I was like, well, we're not going to rob this one. Things were moving fast, and Ryan Doherty was starting to process the position he put his siblings in. My brother, you know, is just driven by a, a loyalty towards family that, that you've never seen or experienced. For, you know, my brother, when they say that, oh, I'll, I, I would die for them. I mean, he, he literally means that. Like, he would shove me out of the way for a bullet. Like, my, my brother would do anything for me. And then uh, he wasn't made for this like Lee Grace and I were. He, he never had a criminal record before this. He was a really good person. And I, I really ruined my brother's life. And I ruined my sister's life. And it's just hard to, to live with that. You know, it's a double-edged sword. You get away, but for how long? I'll do crazy things, but, like, my nerves aren't good. I mean, just because you're scared of something doesn't mean you don't do it. When you rob a bank, it's kind of impersonal, right? I'm, I'm robbing an entity. I'm not robbing you, right? I'm not robbing an individual. Having a running shootout with the police is like a 11, and then, you know, robbing a bank is probably like a 9, and then riding a motorcycle on one tire at 140 miles an hour is like a seven and a half. You know, that'll kind of put it into perspective. Yeah, I was, I was scared to go rob that bank. Absolutely. But did I have a choice? Not that I could see. More on that next time. The Doherty Gang is executive produced by Stephanie Lidecker and me, Courtney Armstrong, along with Beth Greenwald, Sean McEwen, and Joseph Morgan. Editing and sound design is by Jeff Twa. Mixing by Peter Ney. Additional producing by Chris Graves and Jeff Shane. The Doherty Gang is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. 
So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io/ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information what's up y'all janice torres here and i'm austin hankwitz we're the hosts of mind the business small business success stories a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's ruby studios and intuit quickbooks join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success from finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.